Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad to have you with us today and uh, ready to study the Bible with us. And that's what we're going to do for the next half hour here is try to answer as many of your Bible questions as we can. If you're a first-time viewer or don't know exactly what we do here, let me briefly tell you. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, you direct this program, and yes, that's kind of an unusual religious TV program is we let you uh, ask what you want to ask, and we try to get you a Bible answer. So we think that helps people know their Bible better and uh, the best way to do it. So if you've got a question about the Bible or maybe something in your life, uh, you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, we'll try to get you an answer to that. So phone number, website, use them anytime, and you tell us what you want us to talk about. When I say us and we, that means me and Toby Levering. Toby's back and uh, glad to have you back today and ready to go here. Uh, we got uh, lots of good questions coming up. and Always start with one for our viewers. Uh, this is about a name of Joshua's father. Joshua's famous Old Testament cust uh, character. And uh, tell us who his father was. A little bit of a trivia question in itself here, but we'll, we'll give you an answer to that at the end of the program, see if you get it. All right, looks like I drew the first question today, and it is, what does God-fearing mean? And that is a Bible term that's used quite a bit. Uh, people are God-fearing people, and we talk about that way today sometimes. Uh, before we talk about it, let's, or before we look at a scripture that uses it, now, let's make sure we understand it's not a trembling, scared-to-death kind of fear. Uh, it's more of a respect kind of fear. Uh, some of you may have had a high school principal or a junior high principal that everybody kind of knew he meant business. Uh, you might say you were afraid of him, but what you really meant was you, you respected him. Well, that's a little bit how the terms used in the Bible is a God-fearing person uh, respects the fact that there is a God. Uh, may not know much about him, uh, may not understand all there is to know about him, but believes there is a God and uh, has a certain respect for him. So let's look at a passage that mentions a God-fearing man, a famous one, Cornelius, and it's in Acts chapter 10. And it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. All right, so here's the introduction to a fellow who's an Italian. Uh, he's not a Jew, wasn't raised as a Jew, uh, didn't know the Old Testament scriptures or any of that, but he believed there was one true God. He was a God-fearing man. 
and he gave to poor people. He gave alms and he prayed. He didn't know much about this God, uh, but he prayed to the one true God that he had come to respect and fear, if you will. Uh, you know the rest of the story. God sent uh, Peter to preach to him and tell him about the one true God and the Messiah. And Cornelius and his family were baptized and became Christians. Uh, but fact is, he was one of those God-fearing people. Didn't have the covenant with God. He wasn't an Israelite. Hadn't been raised in it. Uh, but he'd come to believe there was one true God and he tried to live a good moral life by giving alms to poor people and all that. So that's what a God-fearing person is. Now, same thing exists today. Uh, many of you are God-fearing people. Uh, in fact, probably not many non-God-fearing people watch this program. Uh, some of you may not know a whole lot about what the Bible says about God, but you believe there's a God. You try to live a good moral life. Uh, you try to do what's right, and maybe you pray to God when the situation, uh, something happens in your life that you think you need God's help, you pray to Him. Okay, well, you're a God-fearing person. Uh, that's good, and we appreciate you watching the program. You may not be very religious. You may not attend church. Uh, you may not have anything to do with organized religious religion, but you're a God-fearing person, uh, and that's good. But like Cornelius, you need to learn more about God, and that's why we're on the air to have a program called Know Your Bible. We want you to know about God and what He expects of us in our life. We want you to know about Jesus. Jesus said He was the only way uh, that you can go to heaven. And so we want you to know that. And if you're a God-fearing person, you're probably interested in that. So uh, that's what a God-fearing person is and the difference between that and one who understands about God and Jesus and has committed their life to them. Uh, so hope that explains what a God-fearing person is. All right, Toby, what's your question? We have a where can I find it question. A viewer wants to know where can I find where Jesus asked who do you say that I am? And I'll point that out here in just a moment. Uh, it happens as sort of a, maybe a later middle part of, or just a little after the middle part of Matthew's account. And what has happened is that Jesus has grown in popularity. He's no longer uh, obscure, uh, unknown Nazarene. Uh, he's pretty well known by this point for his teaching. He teaches with authority. He's done miracles. <coughs> Uh, he's done some amazing things, including feeding of 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. Uh, he's, he's, uh, word has spread about him and his teaching. He's sent out his, the apostles to proclaim to them the, the news that the kingdom of God was very near. And so as Jesus has grown in popularity and people begin to understand or think they at least know the name of Jesus... Um, there kind of comes this part in Matthew chapter 16 uh, where Jesus asks Peter and probably just, you know, tell me what the people are saying. Do they understand um, who I, I'm proclaiming to be and, and do they really believe that? And so let's look now at Matthew chapter 16 uh, starting in verses 13 and following. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus uh, takes this moment of this confession of Peter, and he uses it to say, Now you're Peter, and he uses the, the term small rock there. Uh, but upon this idea, this confession, this big rock, I will build my church. Meaning, very simply, the church is consisted and not built on Peter, but it's built on the profession uh, that, G that his followers would make that we believe he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, if you ever see someone who wants to become a Christian, many times a person will ask them, uh, what do you believe about Jesus? Or tell me, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Giving them the opportunity to profess what they believe, that Jesus, of course there were many people that claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus was not the only one. There were many rabbis in Jesus' time. Jesus was not the only one, but he was the only one who fulfilled the claims to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was crucified uh, to pay for our sins and uh, three days later rose from the grave. So Peter was exactly right, and that profession continues in the church today. Okay, thank you. And that perfect lead in for my next question. I'd, Tried to I set you up. I didn't know it when I organized <laughs> these, but it's, it's just perfect. This viewer wants to know about one true church, and he's picked the 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which does talk about one church, and he said explain that. Now, before we look at some scriptures together, my guess is, is this person uh, is familiar with the world and knows that if you open the yellow pages, I don't know if anybody even opens the yellow pages anymore, but it, a <laughs> it's a Google search. <laughs> if you search churches in your town, uh, you'll get dozens of them. Uh, if you live in a big city, you'll get hundreds of them. Uh, there's lots of churches, different kinds of churches, different brands of churches, if you want to call them that. So our viewer is familiar with that, and he says, hold it now. This verse says something about one church. What's that mean? So let's, let's work through that a little bit. And the Bible does just talk about one church. In fact, it starts right there where Toby was talking about in Matthew chapter 16. In verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, he didn't say anything about other kinds of churches. He just said, I'll build my church. Now, the verse that the viewer mentioned, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, let's look at that. Uh, it also mentions that. It says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And we'll see a verse later that says the body is the church. So we're baptized into one church. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, uh, all made to drink of one spirit. So that verse does mention one church. Let's look at another one in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says, God put all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. All right, there's the church and the one body and all that. Still, we just got one church, and Jesus is the head of it. And let's go down a little further in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul summarizes it again. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Famous passage of seven ones and among them is one body, which is the church. So that's all you can find in the Bible is talking about one church. Now let's go back to our viewer and lots of our viewers probably say, well, hold it. If there's just one church, which is the right one because there's so many out there. Okay, what happened over history is man messed it up. Uh, in the first century, if somebody would have said they were a Christian and somebody would have said, well, which church do you go to? They'd, they'd have looked at you like you were crazy because there's only one church. All Christians are part of the one church, the body of Christ. Well, a few hundred years went by and people started making up their own ideas and arguing over this doctrine or that one and pretty soon we had people calling themselves by other names, I'm this kind of a Christian. Well, our term for that is they denominated themselves. They set themselves apart with a special name, and I'm this kind of Christian. Well, kept on for 2,000 years, and now we've got the situation where there's hundreds of different named churches, and on top of that, there's a lot of churches that call themselves churches that aren't even Christian. So uh, that's how it all happened. But the viewer's right. The Bible just talks about one church. Now, a good way to think about it is if you do what the Bible says, if you do what Jesus says, if you believe in him, you're baptized into his body, uh, God puts you in the church universal. Uh, there is a universal group of believers that are identified by God's recognizing that they've obeyed him. Uh, that's kind of invisible to us. We can't tell who's who sometimes because we're all messed up in this hundreds of denominations and uh, I'm this kind or that kind of a Christian. But think about the universal church. If you've done what the Bible says, you're put into the universal church. Now, who do you worship with and all that? Well, you want to worship with the folks that study the Bible and are the closest of the New Testament church that's possible, I hope. Uh, but that's where you get into deciding all these names and brands of Christianity and churches and all. Very confusing. Uh, I'm sure Satan loves it because it confuses people so much that they just give up. Well, if Christianity is that divided... I don't want any part of it. Well, let's think about the church universal and try to do what the Bible says uh, would be part of that that church, his church, the one body. So hope that explains a little bit. Very uh, interesting question. All right, let me take just a moment and help you uh, find a way to study the Bible. We've got some Bible study materials that we think are excellent, good way to get introduced to the Bible. Uh, this like that one we were just talking about the one true church how do you how do you find out what that church believes and practices well good way to do that is just sit down with your bible and study it it study it and be trying to figure out what a new testament christian is there's the lesson right there called the new testament church now this series will help you understand that starts even more basic than that. It starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Great way to study the Bible and get familiar with your Bible. So that's free of charge. We'll 
send it to you. Uh, all you have to do is call that phone number or log on to that website and say you want that free course. We'll get it going for you. So let us do that. All right, Toby, I've talked have, a long time. Your turn. Sure. I have a question <laughs> about the Apostle Paul. Uh, they want to know, why do we call Paul an apostle when he doesn't qualify under Acts chapter 1, verse 21? Well, uh, I think to some degree Paul might even agree with you a little bit. Uh, let's look first at the verse you reference, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 21 and 22. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the day of the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now, what they are doing here, to give you a little context, is, of course, Jesus is infamously uh, just laden with guilt and has hanged himself, and, and uh, so the apostles decide they must replace, fill his, his shoes, and they need to figure out, well, who would qualify? And so in chapter 1, verse 21, they say, we need somebody who's been with us the entire time, and we need somebody who is a witness to the resurrected Jesus. All right, well, a viewer is asking, Paul didn't really qualify under this. He wasn't, he may have been around, but he wasn't <clears throat> with the apostles and, and following Jesus through that entire time. In fact, he uh, would become a, an early uh, persecutor of the church as uh, in its infancy because Paul sincerely believed uh, that, that the, the Christianity, the way, if you will, was a sect, was uh, a branch of, of uh, false teaching, of heresy. And so as a, a, a good Pharisee, he was trying to snuff that out, make sure that, that we stayed true to the Scriptures. So he was very sincere uh, in doing that, but um, he was, Paul was called in a very unique kind of way. Of course, we know him as the Apostle Paul. It didn't start out that way. His name was, originally was Saul. And when he was called, uh, there was a man named Ananias who was involved. And in Acts chapter 9, he even he's, he has a vision of, of, of Christ. And he says, I want you to, to go to this man. And Ananias says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. And so that's my answer to that, is he was a uniquely called apostle. Um, I called it in a very unusual way and a, a different way. When Paul wrote his uh, letter to the Corinthian church, he said uh, in one of those letters, he said, For I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. So my answer to your question of why we call Paul an apostle is because the Lord anointed him and called him uniquely and showed him grace in spite of everything that he had done. And, uh, and, and, and Paul was very aware of that. He was still an apostle, but it was a uniquely called position. It wasn't uh, something that the, uh, the eleven came up with. It was something that the Lord himself, and I believe there's a lot of reasons for that, um, but we, don't, we won't go into that here. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. 
a Paul, he's writing this by the way, an apostle not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul was indeed uh, a chosen instrument, uh, very unique among the apostles, but uh, wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, that explains it right there, the, the qualifications in yep. Acts 121. It That's was all you need. The, the apostles themselves said, well, let's pick a man yep. by this qualification. And Paul says, that wasn't how I was picked. That so, was different. <laughs> good, good verse there. All right, question five. This won't take us very long. What do you think about astrology? Uh, I try not to think about astrology. <laughs> I don't think very much of astrology. And make sure we understand astrology is different than astronomy. Astronomy is the study of the planets and on where the stars are and all that. I believe all that. And it's amazing because not too long ago we had a solar eclipse and because of astronomy we because of god's order we can predict things like that down to the second so yes i believe astronomy works real well astrology is a belief that the stars and the planets affect our lives somehow and uh, people study all that and say you're this zodiac sign and you're this and your horoscope says this is going to happen today that's a bunch of foolishness is what that is. So, no, I don't look at the horoscopes. Uh, I will admit probably once a year I'll see a horoscope somewhere and I'll say, I wonder what my sign says today. And I read it and it's a bunch of foolishness. So uh, I break myself of that and don't look again for another year. So, <laughs> no, astrology is not worth messing with. We don't believe anything about it. Uh, in fact, it's anti-God. God directs our lives and not the stars and the planets. All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. Uh, we're sponsored and kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention a few of them each week and invite you to visit them. Uh, here's a couple in central Kansas, Kingman and Pratt. Uh, both of those are fine groups of Christians that meet together in those communities. Uh, and Pratt, Steve Triplett's a minister out there, and I know you'd enjoy hearing him and visiting with the folks in Pratt. Uh, also Kingman, fine folks that support this program. Uh, we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. Or maybe you know a member of the Church of Christ in those communities. Tell them thank you. So tell them you saw them on Know Your Bible and uh, want to thank them for keeping us on the air. Whatever market you're in, probably a Church of Christ near you. Drop in and visit them sometime. Let me mention a special event that's happening in Wichita in just a little while, April the 13th and 14th. And this is for ladies only. So men, you can tune out for just a little bit now. Uh, this is a great conference. It's been going on for 11 years now, and uh, it's grown into a huge event, and women come from all over the country to be spiritually uh, inspired and worship together and shop together and have fun together, and uh, it's quite a hit. So you get on the website and find out about it if you're interested in uh, being together with a bunch of Christian women and having a great weekend. That's a good way to do it. So log on and see what that's all about. All right, Toby. A calendar question. Uh, someone wants to know how does the biblical year, how does the year rather in the Bible compare to today's year? Well, uh, of course, we in our 
understanding of a year is from the Roman calendar, and the biblical idea of a year was the Jewish calendar. And uh, my answer is they're not exactly the same, but they're pretty close. And some people have done different studies. If you look for a Bible verse, I guess I would say if you really want to know, you look at Genesis chapter 7 and 8. They're talking about Noah and the ark and how long they were in the ark and so forth. And when you do all the math in Genesis 7 and 8, you see that basically a biblical month uh, comes down to exactly 30 days. Well, that's generally true. We have some months that go over a little bit and some months that go under a little bit. But a Jewish calendar would then be, by having 12 months, be 360 days. So it's off about five days of the Roman calendar, but it's pretty close. Now, uh, the, the seasons and the holidays and all of that, they were way different. And uh, that's another question for another time. But a biblical month generally had about 30 days, so a biblical year would have about 360 days. It was pretty close uh, to the modern one, but just not just a little bit of difference. All right. If you were heard a rumor about heaven and wants to confirm it here, viewer says, "I heard nobody will be married in heaven." Is that true? Well, that sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? Uh, until you think about the fact that heaven's going to be so completely different than than earth, and may make some sense now that actually Jesus did say that. So let's look at Luke chapter twenty, verses thirty-four and thirty-five. And people were asking about marriage and divorce and all of that. And Jesus said, uh, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die. They're, they're like the angels. So all Jesus is saying is heaven, eternity, is going to be different uh, than earth. The purpose of marriage is to complete each other and to procreate. Uh, we're not going to need to do that in heaven. We're going to be uh, with all of his children and we're going to have everything we need. Now, I, people ask, well, well, I know my husband. Well, I know my wife and all that. I think all that will be understandable. Uh, but we're just not going to have a need for marriage anymore. And it's going to be so different. And the main thing to remember is going to be no tears. It's going to be perfect. Uh, God's going to work it out just fine. So, But don't think there will be any wedding ceremonies to go to in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to move on the next question from the end of time about the beginning of time. Why did people live so long in the Old Testament? Well, if you look at the early genealogical accounts in Genesis, you'll see that people lived hundreds of years. It's, uh, you know, even a, a second, third, fourth grader reading along will say, man, what, why is this happening? That's a good question. Well, certainly I think the main reason is because, number one, the earth at that time was much different. And two, we are also a lot more different. Remember, the world that God created was a perfect one uh, without any flaw. Then we had the flood, and I think that changed the environment radically. And so that was part of it. And second was we were created in perfect form, and over time uh, we've had a lot of stuff get in the DNA and disease and problems and all of that. So we've changed a lot. But when you look at it, uh, it seems that uh, going from Noah living to 950, Methuselah going to 969 uh, to today, we don't live, the longest of us live about maybe 120 at the max. And there's a verse that deals with that. It's Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, 
for he is flesh, his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So that just seems to be the limit that God decided for, for us. Speaking of limits, we're out of time today. We don't have time for any more questions, but we do have one a trivia question we're going to get answered. Name Joshua's father, and this is actually it's a trivia question in itself because his father's name was Nun, N-U-N, and some people say he didn't have a father, jokingly. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.